0: Today's scripture reading is found in Matthew 2:13 through 18. I'll be reading from the NIV. Hear the word of the good Lord. This is the word of the Lord. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. "Get up," he said, "take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him." So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Jesus for Egypt where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled the the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I call my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and refusing to be comforted, because they are no more.
1: This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God. (laughs) Amen. Thank you, Chuck, for reading this morning. Merry Day After Christmas. (laughs) That's hard to say, isn't it? Oh, good to see you here this morning. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Dana and team, for leading us in those songs today. It was good to see Grace back up here with the team this morning. Welcome back from UGA. Mark and I have been praying hard she would fail out of school and have to move back home, but that prayer was not answered apparently, so she's going back in a couple weeks here back to the second semester, doing great. And Isaac and Lainey are home from college as well. I I remind you of this because it's good to see them. It's a reminder to be praying for them while they're at school. We love our college students, and we want to keep praying for them. And we still own them as part of our congregation even when they're away at school and so I want us to still be praying for them in those in those cases. So glad we can do that for you guys. And um, I'll, did, I, I don't know if you're like me but I love to extend Christmas as long as possible, so I love singing Christmas carols the day after Christmas. Anybody else like that? Okay, a lot of you. It's it's kind of a little bit of a battle in our home because Beth is like ready today to start taking down the Christmas, and I'm like, no, please, one more day, one more day. The kids are still coming. We still got Christmas. We got to leave it all up for another week, so I want to extend it and keep playing the Christmas music. Beth's like, okay, it's time to move on. You know, life goes on. We got to move on. And so today, we sang some Christmas songs because if you noticed when we sang them, each one one of those christmas carols takes the story beyond it talks about christ not just as the babe in a manger but as the savior and it mentions the cross and and his work for us and so today's message is going to kind of take us the next step to see what god did through his son and so I'm glad you're here to be a part of this and to share in this this morning and such a beautiful day had we known it was going to be this nice we would have just had church outside in the parking lot or something cuz it's so beautiful out there but uh we uh, we will have this day to to appreciate and to. I'd be outside through the afternoon, and so glad that you're here for our worship time this morning. Uh, let me just say one other word, just for our Trinity family here, uh, as we're coming in this last week of the year. Um, we prayed for our offering, and Jason mentioned those sheets out in the foyer for end-of-the-year giving. Let me also say, last Sunday, for the first, I, I, it may be, it's first time in a long time, maybe the first time this year, we were a little bit under our budgeted giving for the year. We fell below. And uh, so... Trinity, you're always so faithful, so generous. Just a reminder, and we'd love to meet that, be in the black, meet our budget for our giving for this year. Um, And so, if you're still considering your end of the year giving, there's still a chance to do that. Please consider Trinity and our needs here as you plan your end of the year giving. Let me pray for us, and let's uh, ask God to show us what He wants to teach us as we go into His Word today. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You so much for this day. Thank You for this season, this weekend, this time that we've had to be here together on Christmas Eve and to celebrate your birth and to be together as families yesterday and celebrating your birth. And I thank you, Lord Jesus, that we have this opportunity to remember that you came and to remember why you came. And so this morning as we get the rest of the story, as we get the next steps to see what your Son endured for our sake I pray, Lord, that we would, in a fresh new way today, just be thankful for our salvation, uh, thankful for our calling as your, as your people, and ready to step into our life lived for You. And as we finish this year and move into 2022, Lord, I pray that in new and fresh ways You would inspire us to live for You, to represent You, to speak for You, to share Your joy, Your message, Your gospel with others, and, Lord, that, You would grow us as individuals and grow us as a church in this new year. And so, Lord, as we come to Your Word in these next few minutes, I pray that You would um, teach us, instruct us, help us to understand what You have for us today, and help me, by Your Spirit, to communicate well, to communicate what You have for us today. And as Your Spirit works in us, as your, Your Holy Word works on us, I pray, Lord, that we would be conformed to the image of Jesus today. We pray this in His name, Jesus' name, amen. amen. So it was probably a crazy idea to begin with. We had five people in a VW van traveling from Texas to Ohio for Christmas. So it was just a few years after Beth and I were married, and so we had my parents, my sister, who was still single at the time, Beth and I, and our dog as well. So it was five people and one dog in this VW van, which was a borrowed van. So there's a little dangerous, too, because you don't really know how this is going to go in a borrowed vehicle, traveling a lot of miles. And this was a terrible year. The weather was awful. It was one of the coldest, snowiest Decembers that I think we ever experienced while we lived in Texas. And so here we are. We, we were traveling to Ohio uh, before Christmas, heading there because it was a family tradition that we'd go back to my mom's family in, in uh, southwestern Ohio. And we, we didn't even get out of Arkansas, and our fuel line froze up. And so we were stopping, trying to get that, you know, cleaned out. And then our window washing fluid, that froze up. And so we had to clean off our windshield. We finally made it to Ohio. And from there, because we wanted to go see Best family, so we left our family there after a couple days, and we drove that, that van on up to southern Ontario. And the wind and the, the snow was even worse by then. So as we're driving around Lake Ontario, the wind's coming off. I thought for sure it was going to blow that VW van right off the highway. But we made it there. And, you know, once you get there, there's this kind of the joy of being with family and of Christmas. We celebrated. All was good. But then we had to go back home. So that drive after Christmas for us was, it's, it's really legendary in our family. Everybody remembers it because we came back from Ohio, we, from Canada. We got to Ohio, picked up my family, and we started our trek, and the wind was worse. The snow was worse. The cold was worse. And in a VW van, in that, this particular model, as many VWs, the engine's in the back, And that thing could not pump out any heat. I think all the cars behind us were giving whatever heat there was. It was going right out the back. It was not coming into that van. And so we're all there bundled up with every coat and gloves and scarves, anything we had in that van still shivering. We know it got cold inside that van because our dog's water bowl froze over inside the van. That's how cold it was. And to boot, and on top of all that, my mom was having back spasms. So she's laying on the floor of the van trying in, in agony. We're having to carry her, almost carry her out whenever we make a stop. We finally made it back to Texas. It was a terrible try, drive after Christmas. Well, I wanted to talk today about the after-Christmas travel for Mary and Joseph. Because that's the passage you just heard read. And so, I decided to title today's message, The Flight After Christmas. So, a little word play on the night before Christmas. This is the flight after Christmas. And for Mary and Joseph, it wasn't snow and ice and stuff like that, but it could not have been an easy trek. Have you ever thought about that? Mary and Joseph making that journey from Bethlehem to Egypt with a little baby, with a little baby in tow. And so, this is the part of the Christmas text, Matthew 2, that you heard Chuck read a moment ago, and we're going to read some verses beyond that. It's often the, one, the part that we skip over with Christmas because it just doesn't really fit everything, all the nice, easy, kind of soft lullaby stuff of the Christmas season. So, it's not a silent night story. It's not, a, it's not an old little town of Bethlehem story. It's a rough story. It's a sad story. It's a hard story. But It happened. And it happened to Jesus and his family, and Matthew included it in his gospel. He's the only one that includes this story, but he includes it for a reason, like everything is in Matthew's gospel and every other gospel for a reason. And this morning, I want us to look at what those reasons are. So if you have your Bible, electronic device, as always, please follow along if you can. Matthew chapter 2, those of you that are at home watching this morning, thank you for tuning in. Glad you caught us at our different time this morning, Uh, but uh, if you'll turn along in your Bibles as well, I'd appreciate that. Matthew chapter 2. And you know, Matthew, maybe of all the gospel writers, continually shows us the connections of Christ's coming, His birth and His life to the Old Testament. He's constantly going back and saying, well, the prophet said, the prophet said this, prophet said that. And in this passage, the end of chapter 2 of Matthew, there are three more prophecies fulfilled. What we see here again, hear this please, God's Word is a consistent, connected story of His plan to save us by sending His Son. From the Old Testament to the New Testament, the interweaving is there. It's all God's plan. And I didn't really intend to preach another message in this Advent series. It was supposed to end with the Christ candle on Christmas Eve, but as the more I got into this passage, I realized this really could could be a part of our Advent series because we're learning again about the Son, and we're learning from the Old Testament. And so this series, The Birth of the Son, really continues today. Three truths about Jesus the Son. Here's the first. The divine protection for the Son. We see this in, in verses 13 to 15. So here's the story as you heard it read just a moment ago and know the story. The wise men left Bethlehem. They don't go back to Herod because they're warned in a dream. When Herod finds out that they have avoided him, he hatches this plant and he doesn't know exactly where this newborn king is. So now he decides he's just going to kill all the male babies two years old and under in the whole town of Bethlehem. And so an angel appears to Joseph in this dream and tells him to escape to Egypt. Joseph obeys, he takes the family to Egypt, and they stay until Herod's death. Now let me show you a little bit on a map. I mentioned this a moment ago. Here's here's their short distance from Nazareth to Jerusalem. And that was hard enough because Mary was expecting to Jerusalem down to Bethlehem. But now look from Bethlehem all the way to Egypt. This would have been a long, difficult journey for them. And so the question we have to ask as we look at a map like this is why? Why, do, why to Egypt? Why does God send them there? Well, one thing is they had to get out of Herod's jurisdiction. So they couldn't just go back to Nazareth because there still could have been trouble there from Herod. In Egypt, there was a Jewish community, and so there was a place for them to feel some connection there. But Matthew tells us there was something much more going on here in terms of why God sends them to Egypt. Verse 15, the last part, and so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through His prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. Now, that's a quote from Hosea 11.1, 1, verbatim. And so that quote in Hosea originally referred to God's hand in bringing the nation of Israel out of Egypt the exodus we've been talking about, we've mentioned that during this series and we talked about the connections to Moses so the nation of israel as it is in this passage was sometimes called god's son and so this hosea passage mentions israel as god's son he rescues them from egypt and now the same is happening with his son jesus matthew is identifying jesus with the people of israel so here again we see this old testament new testament connection essentially What Matthew is saying to us here is just as God took the infant nation Israel to Egypt to protect them and then called them out of Egypt to take them back to their homeland, in the same way God took his infant son Jesus to Egypt to protect him and then called him back out of Egypt back to his homeland. It's exactly what happens. It's just this extraordinary parallel. If you've never noticed this before, the history of the nation of Israel prefigured the life of Christ both experienced this protective hand of God in taking them to Egypt. I think there's a really amazing application here for us because what we learn from this is, as what Hebrews tells us about Jesus, He can identify with us in all of our problems because of His humanity. And in this case specifically, Jesus can identify with people who are displaced Now, I don't know if you've ever experienced that in your life, and been somewhere where you just didn't fit in or just was this temporary displacement for you. Maybe it's happened to you. But it certainly has happened to many in our world today. Okay, so you think about this. Jesus and his family were refugees in Egypt for that time. I wanted to find out, well, what is? I know there are refugees all around our world today. How many are there? On a site called the International Rescue Committee, It works specifically with refugees. Their estimate is there are some more than 82 million refugees in our world today. 82 million. Just let that sink in for a minute. 82 million refugees. And I looked and they gave their list of the top ten countries experiencing humanitarian crises, which often is what creates this refugee experience, sometimes refugees within their own country, sometimes they're pushed right out of their country to neighboring countries, and here's the list. And no surprise, Afghanistan is right at the top right now of the greatest humanitarian crisis going on. People flowing out of the borders, people refugees within the country fleeing the Taliban. All that's happening right now, there right now. And it isn't amazing to know in our day and age, right now, as we enter into this new year and have these crises in our world, Jesus can identify with that. Jesus was a refugee himself. God worked to help him in his time of displacement and his family. And God is at work in those ways today. And I want to show you one example of that. If This very week, we got an update from one of our mission partnerships, Elam Ministries. They work specifically in Iran, right? You've heard a little bit about that over the last couple of months. We've shared about the, their mission. And, and, and the country of Iran borders Afghanistan. So look at it here on a map, and you kind of see how they share this border. So some of the refugees from Afghanistan are arriving in Iran. Well, Elam talked about a pastor, a Christian pastor in Iran, and so it's got to be hard enough to be a pastor in Iran. Now he's also dealing with with refugees coming from Afghanistan. What they reported is this pastor was expecting, they were doing an outreach this weekend. I don't know if it was yesterday on Christmas Day, but it was a Christmas event that they were doing for the refugees, and their expectation was that 400 refugees would be at that event that that church put on think about this. Because they have been chased out of Afghanistan, they are now hearing the gospel in Iran as refugees. This is how God works. There's amazing ways God works. And so the story of Jesus is a reminder that God works to save, protect His people even in their displacement, even as refugees. So the flight after Christmas was not this unexpected change of plans and God's in in heaven saying, oh my goodness, what's happening? i got to get him to Egypt. No, this is prophetic. This was part of God's plan from the beginning, that he would call his son out of Egypt. A fulfillment of prophecy and and a reminder to us of God's faithful protection. Here's the second thing, and here's our second point this morning. The world's rage against the sun. Herod is just one example of how the world, many in our world, respond to Jesus. So we mentioned this a little bit Christmas Eve, so I'm kind of picking up on our Christmas Eve message and running with it a little bit more this morning. So Matthew tells us about the rage of King Herod, and he finds out that he's been been fooled by the Magi. He comes in to murder all the boys in Bethlehem. And maybe you've wondered this as well. I wondered, well, how many would that have been? So I looked this up a little, did a little research on this too. So the estimates, based on how big Bethlehem was at the time, that this probably would have been some 20 to 30 baby boys that would have been murdered by Herod. And as terrible as that seems, this actually was right in line with Herod's very character. He had already murdered members of his own family to protect his throne. So it's no big surprise. It was easy for him to choose to murder 20 or 30 young boys to protect his throne. But it was terror, obviously, and grief for those families in Bethlehem. And so, again, Matthew gives us a historical parallel here. When he tries to describe the sorrow and the grief in Bethlehem over this, he quotes Jeremiah 31.15. i put this on the screen again, and it shows you the The verse, verse 18, which is a direct quote from Jeremiah, a voice is heard in Ramah weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. So what is the historic situation back in Jeremiah? Well, it's the captivity. It's the Israelites, their families, their children being carried off by the Babylonians, many of them murdered by the Babylonians as Jerusalem falls. And so Jeremiah is describing the sorrow in the captivity. And he mentions Rachel. If you've ever wondered in this passage, why is it Rachel weeping for her children? Well, Rachel was the wife of Isaac, as you remember. And she was often considered the mother of the nation of Israel. Her son Jacob, his name was changed to Israel. And so he's kind of looked at that family as being the start of the nation of Israel. And so. This quote from Jeremiah is a reminder of the sorrow in Israel, comparing the grief in Bethlehem to the grief of Israel's captivity. But Herod, it's even beyond that, because Herod serves as an example of the world's hatred toward the Lord's Messiah. I mean, like many other leaders after him, Herod attempted to thwart God's plan. He's going to destroy this Messiah. But it doesn't happen. He's not able to do it. In fact, if you look at the verses following the quote from Jeremiah, you'll see that even back in that Old Testament quote, there was, a, there was a, a message of hope. As Israel is being carried off in captivity and there's all this sorrow and grief, there was still hope and Jeremiah gives it. Look at this verse, verse 17. It comes two verses after the sorrow verse. Jeremiah says, So there is hope for your descendants, declares the Lord. Your children will return to their own land. In the midst of sorrow is the hope of the return. And so even in the sad story of this Bethlehem massacre, and it is sad, Matthew, by connecting it to Jeremiah, is saying there's hope in the midst of our suffering. There was in Bethlehem, and there is for us. God saved his son from that massacre so that he could complete the work of salvation for the world. And He, as the rightful King, will reign one day, and He will bring an end to all murder and death and sorrow and grief. Everything that happened in Bethlehem, He will make right one day. And so, for us, I think the example, the the application for us is we should not be surprised when we see hatred and anger and death in our world. It is part of living in a sin-cursed world. And Bethlehem, a lot of times when we hear the, even just the, The Atlanta News had the crime and the murders, and we just shake our heads. But it's going to be that way, folks, until Jesus comes back and makes all things right. We live in a broken world but we don't need to be discouraged. And this is the hope of the second advent. That's why these Christmas songs we sang today remind us that Jesus is coming back and He is the righteous King. He is the Prince of Peace. He will set things right. He will defeat sin and death. And we have the hope of living in His eternal home forever. Henry Wadsworth Longfellow wrote a poem that became the Christmas carol. Maybe you sang it this year at some point. I heard the bells on Christmas Day. Maybe you heard it play as you were listening to Christmas music. Well, the song was written in the midst of great sorrow and heartache. If you don't know the story behind this, in 1881, Longfellow lost his wife in a fire. In fact, he himself was badly burned trying to rescue her from that fire, but she did not survive. He was so badly hurt he could not even attend her funeral. Longfellow fell into a deep depression And the next year didn't get any better. His son went off to war. This was the time of the Civil War, and he was injured. He survived, but he was badly injured, had to come home. And on Christmas Day of 1883, two years after losing his wife, he wrote the words to this poem. It it evokes the sorrow of the war-torn world that he lived in in the middle of the Civil War, but also the hope that God's righteousness would prevail. I want to just put up on the screen a couple of verses. He says, "In, In despair I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. But notice the next verse. Yet peeled the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth He sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail with peace on earth, goodwill to men. So this Christmas, this day after Christmas, I think we need to remember that Jesus is coming back. We need to remember the hope and the promise that He will return, that His second advent is coming, and that He will one day make all things right again. There's one more part of the story that, again, I think show us, in this case, the humble beginnings of the Son. One more lesson from the Son. We often talk about the humble birth of Christ, right? The baby in the manger, the The stable, the straw, what a humble beginning. But it didn't stop there. His humble life continued, and Matthew wants us to see that. So follow with me as I read Matthew 2, start with verse 19. This ends right where Chuck, picks up right where Chuck finished reading. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he learned that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee and lived in a town called Nazareth. So it was fulfilled what was said through the prophets. He would be called a Nazarene. Now, the first thing about this, I'm just amazed by Joseph's dream life. So this is now four times in just the first two chapters of Matthew <laughs> That Joseph has had a dream and an angel has spoken to him in the dream and given him instructions. And again, as he did all four times, he obeys. And I also, as I read this passage, I also wonder, why was Joseph even trying to go back to Judea? Remember, his hometown, Mary's hometown, was Nazareth. Why wouldn't he just go from Egypt back to Nazareth? Why try to go back to Judea? i have to be warned again that you can't go back there. Well, uh, there's, Scripture doesn't tell us why. So just understand, this is just my guess here, but here's how, how I process this. I'm thinking, Joseph knew that his son was to be the Messiah. And if he's going to be a king, he needs to grow up near the capital city of Jerusalem, or at least in Bethlehem to be close by, the city of David. It's somewhere there. He's got to grow up there. I think that was Joseph's reasoning. But God said, no, not Jerusalem, not Bethlehem. He's going to grow up in Nazareth. I think Joseph was probably thinking, no, we can't go back there. I know what Nazareth is like. We're not going back there. We're not going to raise our son there. God says, yes, you are. So why? Again, Matthew tells us it was foretold by the prophets. Okay, so this is a fulfillment of prophecy. That's one reason why. But here, he doesn't give us a specific quote. And so, it's probably this is a compilation of what prophets said about the Messiah, but again, there's no specific Old Testament passage that says the Messiah will be a Nazarene. So, what is he referring to? What do we know about the town of Nazareth in Galilee? Well, what we know is the province of Galilee was considered a bit backward. You, you remember in our study of the book of Acts, when, when Peter and the apostles come and they're preaching in the temple and the religious leaders bring him in, they said, they were surprised. They said, aren't these guys Galileans? In other words, these are country boys. How can they be teaching like this in the temple? Because that was the consideration. Galilee was kind of a backward place. And Nazareth was the armpit of Galilee. It was the worst. It was a Roman outpost, which meant there were a lot of Romans there, and so any Jews that were there were considered by other Jews to be, you know, kind of suspect. They're living with the Romans. The name Nazarene, in fact, even came to stand for anything that was despised or scorned. So to call someone a Nazarene would be like a Southerner referring to a Northerner as a Yankee or a Northerner referring to a Southerner as a redneck. It was kind of meant to be derogatory. Or up in Canada, it's the Newfies, those people from Newfoundland. So like the place you live means something about you. Remember what Philip, when Philip went and found Matthew, or Nathanael. He found Nathanael, and he said, I found the Messiah. Do you remember what Nathanael said? Here's John one forty six. He says, Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? And that wasn't just Nathaniel. That was the thought of the day. Nobody thought anything good could come from Nazareth. It was a despised town. And it's where Jesus grew up. And a poor Jewish family living in a despised, God-forsaken town. And that's where it connects to the prophets. Isaiah 53.3, familiar passage. A prophecy of the Messiah. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering, familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Isaiah knew that's what the Messiah would happen to the Messiah, which is an amazing description of God's servant king. He was a Nazarene. He was from the wrong part of the country. He was from the wrong town. What is Matthew telling us? Here's, where, here's how I personalize this. It means that God can take me in my weakness and my insignificance, and all my faults and failures. And He can still use me for His glory. And he showed that with His own Son. He's showing us that something good can come from Nazareth, and did come from Nazareth. He's so letting us know that Jesus identifies with our weaknesses, with our struggles, even if we came from the wrong town and He can lift us up from that. I love the message of 2 Corinthians 8 9. Let me tie this in right here. It's a powerful verse about the grace of Jesus. Paul says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, for your sake He became poor, so that through His poverty you might become rich. What a great picture. It's exactly what Matthew shows us in Matthew 2. He became poor so that we could be rich. He humbled Himself on this earth so that we could share in the riches and the glories of heaven. So, think about it this way. Jesus was born in a lowly manger for your sake. Jesus became a refugee for your sake. Jesus grew up in a despised town for your sake. And Jesus suffered the shame and the disgrace of the cross for your sake. Today, December 26th, is Boxing Day. Have you been celebrating Boxing Day today? I mean, it's on the calendar. Now, these our Canadian friends down here will understand. And I didn't know anything about Boxing Day until I connected with Beth as a Canadian because it's a British holiday, And so the Canadians celebrate it too. But most Canadians, I don't know about you guys, but most Canadians, Beth didn't know what it it was about. I mean, she thought, as I thought, Boxing Day was the day you take everything you got from Christmas, you box it up, and you take it back to the store. You return the things that aren't the right size or whatever, the things you don't want, you take them back, you box it up, that's Boxing Day. But that's not the original meaning of the holiday. It starts way back in in British history when landlords would give their servants the day off the day after Christmas, December 26th, and they would give them a box, thus Boxing Day, a box. It was a Christmas box. They would take it home. It was gifts for their family. And I thought about that holiday, which is today, and I thought, there's actually a connection there because Jesus came as a servant. The connection to servants, servants is right there. It's what Paul says about him in Philippians 2, 6 through 8, which is so, so fitting, for today's message, who being in very nature God, speaking of Jesus, did not consider equality with God something to be used to His own advantage. Rather, He made Himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness he being fa- and being found in appearance as a man, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus humbled Himself and He died so that we could be lifted up and live. So we're six days away from the start of a new year, right? Six days away from the new year. The flight after Christmas that we've seen today in Matthew 2 teaches us that a manger birth and a refugee infancy and even a Nazarene childhood do not minimize the significance of one's life. It didn't for Jesus. And it doesn't for you. Your past is past. 2021 is almost past. Your sins have been forgiven, and you, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, are a new creation in Him. 2 Corinthians five seventeen says, the old has gone, the new is here. What a great verse as we come into a new year. And so, what are you going to do with this new year? Here's how I suggest applying this message today, this passage today, to the new year that's coming. Here's the first thing. You can live in boldness and courage because of God's protection in your life. God protected His Son in Egypt. He can protect refugees in our world, and He can protect you in this new year. Second thing is you can live with hope and assurance because of God's promise for the future. And as bad as things get, and as bad as things were in Bethlehem, there's hope. There's a future. We know how the story ends. And then third, you can live in humility and confidence because you've been given the spiritual riches of Jesus Christ. He became poor so that you could be rich. It's great to carry into a new year, isn't it? So, let the message of Christmas, even as you start to take down the decorations, if you do today or tomorrow or this week, carry the message of Christmas with you into this new year. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank You so much that the story didn't end at a stable in Bethlehem, that You took Your son to Egypt. You brought him back from Egypt. You protected him from Herod. You protected him during the murder and the mayhem in Bethlehem. You took him to to Nazareth of all places, and you raised him there so that he could identify with our lives on this earth, so that he could go to the cross and bear the punishment of our sin on himself, die in our place, and offer us the gift of eternal life and give us the hope that one day the heavens and the earth will be made new and everything will be put right. Lord, thank you for that hope that we have as we go into 2022. Help us to live for you in the midst of that hope. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen.